All right, there you go. We're going to be addressing that theme for the next six weeks. We're going to talk about it in our small groups. We're going to talk about it in our corporate worship services. And uh, we are trusting God to bring in a great harvest. Now, uh, I want to give my two cents as to my, my longing for our campus we obviously, and, and everyone knows, Coastal Gloucester is not going to raise this money all by ourselves. We don't have uh, the resources to be able to do this entire thing, and, and our church family has banded together, and our leadership has said, we're going to do this as one church. But man, I would love to see Coastal Gloucester outpace what the ask is in terms of our average, okay? I would love to see us find ways to dig deep, to sacrifice. I know some of you, as I, as I stand here talking, I know some of you have been through this exact same process two, three other times with Coastal, uh, and you have faithfully given, faithfully sacrificed, and I'm very grateful for some of you. This is brand new, and uh, I'm excited to have you here and have you part of it, so I really, I'm with Pastor Sean. I'm asking you to pray. That's today's take-home, take-away from Gloucester. Pray. Begin to pray now. Uh, we, I'm going to give you a kind, of a, a kind of a roadmap. In fact, it's in front of you, but I'll go over it at the end of the message as to what we're doing and what the process is going to look like. But today, I'm asking you to pray. And uh, as uh, Pastor Nate said, we're going to go through a series of messages talking about the kingdom of God. We have no desire, and I've said this before, you've heard it from me, and I I know from Pastor Sean, we're not looking to expand the kingdom of coastal, and we're not concerned about a name for ourselves. We don't need to be everywhere, but we want to expand the kingdom of God. There are multiple people, a huge percentage of people on the Middle Peninsula who don't know Christ, who are are unchurched, who are unregenerate, who, who simply do not have the uh, opportunity in many cases and certainly have never taken the opportunity to become followers of Jesus Christ. And we want to be part of reaching that group of people. All right. So our goal isn't to build something so we can get all the people from other churches that for some reason don't want to be there anymore. Our goal is to reach people who don't know Jesus. And I'm I want to challenge you throughout that whole thing. So this series of messages is designed, I I trust, to help us broaden our perspective on the task of the church, which is serving to expand the kingdom of God. It's going to focus on several parables, and virtually all of them begin with a phrase similar to this, the kingdom of God is like. And so it's going to give us some illustrations of what the kingdom of God is like. Now, parables are stories that Jesus told intending to teach a lesson. As one writer put it, they are designed to capture the listener, make him a participant, overturning his worldview and leading him to call into question his most basic values. Stories are really powerful, right? Sometimes, uh, do you remember the in the Old Testament when King David sinned with Bathsheba and committed adultery. A prophet came and had the responsibility to go to the king and say, you're under the judgment of God, you've sinned. I mean, that's not something you'd you know, walk up to the king and say. So what did he do? He told him a story. And in the story that he told him, David got so incensed that he was ready to really threaten the man. And the prophet said, well, the man is you. And it broke David. Parables are designed to do that. They're designed to challenge 
our hearing, our, our thinking. They're designed to help us see ourselves in the story. This one, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, but I'm actually going to begin back in chapter 19 of Matthew uh, as, we, as we talk about the fact that we serve a generous God. He is generous and always gives us more than we deserve. But I want to begin in Matthew chapter 19 and talk a little bit about the rich young man. This is all leading up to this story, this account that Jesus gives. Matthew 19 and verse 16 says, Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said, well, which ones? And so Jesus gave him a list of the moral uh, side of the law. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said, well, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I wanted, I'm not going to preach through this sermon except to make a couple of comments. And the first is this. The question is, how do I get eternal life? That's what he's asking. How do I get eternal life? Jesus said, well, what, what do you find in the scriptures? And here, here, are the, here are the laws God laid down. And so he gave him these things. Well, I've done all of that. I've never committed adultery. I've never killed anybody. I've honored my parents. You know, I've done all these things, which, of course, is likely not true, right? But in his mind, well, I've, I've kept the rules. And then Jesus says to him something that's very interesting to me. Well, then just go sell what you have. Go sell all your stuff. This guy's rich. He's wealthy. What's Jesus driving at is he's suggesting, do you think, that if we keep the right rules, somehow or another God, when we get to heaven, will weigh the balance and say, yeah, that's good enough. Or is he suggesting to this man, if you get rid of all your money and give it all, well, let's be practical, if you got rid of all your money and gave it to the building fund, that would give you eternal life? Is that what he's suggesting? No, much as, much as I would love it if somebody would say, you know what, I'll just give everything I got to the building fund. Maybe we could just fund it from Gloucester. I don't know, but that's not his suggestion, right? What's he doing? He is driving at the heart of that man to say, what are you depending on? What are you counting on in life? What is your most central important thing? What do you treasure more than anything else? In his case, it was literally his financial treasures, and he went away sad because what he had was more important than what Jesus had to offer him. And so Jesus looked at his disciples in verse 23 and said, I tell you, it's with difficulty, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When, this, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
First thing I want you to notice is Jesus' connection here. This man came and asked in real time and in real life, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus said, it's very hard for an incredibly wealthy, for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He's equating the kingdom of heaven with eternal life. So we are interchanging those terms as we go along. And fundamentally, he says, if you don't recognize what you're depending on, you can't get into heaven. And there's nothing that you can do. It's impossible. The, the disciples said, well, then good night. If it's, if it's that, if it's hard, well, who could be saved? Because we're all depending on something. We're all depending on perhaps some activity that we do or some skill set that we have. That's why I love that song so much that we was introduced this morning. It's not about my skills. It's not about my, my monetary value. My worth does not reside in those things. For this young man who had to walk away, his worth resided in how much his IRA had in it and his investments. He had a lot of money, and he saw himself valuable because of that. But Jesus said it's, it's actually impossible. It's not even difficult. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So eternal life is available because of God. And then Peter asks an interesting question. Verse 27. Peter said in reply, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. For but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. We've left everything, Lord. What, what, honestly, what's in it for us? I mean, what are we going to get out of this? Jesus said, don't you worry about that. You just trust me. You're gonna, it's going to be far and above worth any sacrifice you could make. And he doesn't, he, he gives those little specifics to these guys, but... For everybody, he said, they will receive far more than they could ever sacrifice to serve me in my kingdom. For, verse 1 of chapter 20, the kingdom of heaven is like. So this is an ongoing conversation. This is just part of what was happening in chapter 19. Sometimes we have these chapter breaks and we think, oh, that happened there now something else is happening. But chapters 19 and 20 are just a continued conversation. Jesus has talked about how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the, uh, Peter, probably speaking for out loud what some of the disciples were thinking, well, man, we've left everything. We have nothing. What will we have? And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Well, wait, I skipped a verse, didn't I? After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. 
So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said, why do you stand here idle all day? They said, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So this is the parable of the laborers and the vineyard. And the first thing he does is to go and and get the workers, collect the workers. He goes to, to get these guys who will come and serve in his vineyard. When we were in Puerto Rico, a number of us here last year were in Puerto Rico and uh, they, we helped harvest coffee beans. As it turns out, we were pitiful at it. They told us how many coffee beans, how many like pounds of coffee beans a really good worker could harvest in a day. And I don't know if, if all of us combined did that many in the time we were there. But it was, it was really fascinating. And they told us in the moment that these are, these are seasonal workers but that people were not, they couldn't get enough people to come and harvest the beans. So they had beans going to waste, coffee beans going to waste. I mean, we were, you know, most of us were coffee drinkers. They're like, well, let us pick them. We'll help. We don't want the coffees to be short, right? We don't want to have a shortage on that. But it's, it's this similar idea, okay? This guy has a vineyard. Now, it's a story, right? So let's just think through some of the practical cultural things involved here. These were unemployed people. These people at the marketplace were people who did not have a regular ongoing daily job that they went to. They weren't tent makers. They weren't carpenters. They weren't masons. They didn't have a regular source of income. So they would show up at the marketplace in the center of town every morning looking for work. They wanted somebody to hire them to give them a day's worth of work. We're so unaccustomed to that idea of living day to day, literally, that it's very hard for us to wrap our mind around it. But these are people who had no guarantee when they got up in the morning that they would be able to earn money for their family that day. And so they're there, and they're hoping for someone to come along and say, hey, I need people to work in my vineyard. I need somebody to come work in my carpenter shop or my stonemason shop with me. I need you to haul some rocks around or whatever it is. I need you to help me do this. I don't have enough workers for today. I need to add a couple. Come work with me. The first group was invited to work in the vineyard and told what the reward would be for the certainty of a day's work. That's going to come back around again. They were offered a denarius, which is a day's wage, and a good day's wage. It was, in that day, a soldier was paid a really good wage compared to the average person. And uh, so I'm, as I understand it, this is what a soldier would make. And people were getting a good wage for a day's labor and for the certainty of knowing all day long, I get to provide for my family tomorrow. The next groups... As each of them came, as the, as the foreman came back to the marketplace, he would come and find this group of people, and he would say, hey, I need you guys to come work too. I still have more work to do, and I'll pay you whatever is right. How many of us would take a job where the guy said to us, you come work for me, I'll pay you whatever's right? <laughs> Not a chance, right? I suspect that in the culture, this is a person who was wealthy, who was known in the community. He had the vineyard. These people had to trust in the character and reputation of this landowner. And they just went and worked. Sure, I'll, I'll work. I'll get something. They had to trust 
that he would be honest and fair. Then in verse 8 is where the twist in the story comes, right? He begins to pay. Now he's going to come back and, and pay the workers. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, because the story went on, right? He, at, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, so a day basically was from 6 a.m. 6 to 6 p.m., a 12-hour day, so the third hour was 9, and then noon, and then 3 o'clock was the ninth hour, and the 11th hour was 5 o'clock. Come on, come on, you come work, and I'll, I'll pay you whatever's right. I mean, the guys coming at 5 o'clock when... The whistle was going to blow at 6, probably weren't expecting a lot, but they were trusting the character of the landowner. But at pay time, and that was just part of the law, when you hire a day worker, you pay them that evening. Don't make them wait for their money. Pay them in reverse order, the landowner said. So when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. They got a whole day's wages. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. Now, who do you identify with in here? I mean, I've got to be honest. I identify with the guys that worked all day, Right? They, on receiving it, verse 11 says, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last only worked one hour. And you've treated them and made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. I've got to be honest. I think I would be that group. Unless, of course, I wasn't hired early in the morning, right? He replied to one of them, verse 13, friend... I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. They paid them in reverse order and those who got paid having worked all day, were frustrated because they only got what they agreed to get when they started the day. And the response was, I've not been unfair. I've been gracious. I've been generous. And there's an interesting turn of phrase in there. Literally, it says, why is your eye evil? Because I am good. Why? And it was just an idiom in the, the day in which Jesus lived of, to talk about jealousy. Why do you have an evil eye? Because I'm good. I'm, my character is good. These other people I've been generous. I've been excessively gracious with. Now, that's the story. That's the account. And I want, I want to emphasize that it is uh, sometimes a little dangerous when we take these stories because they're not intended to have specific, absolute, one-to-one -one correspondence, okay? Jesus is teaching a lesson. And I told you up front, the lesson here is that we serve a generous God. We're not intended to take each of these and figure out where we fit in the story. But let me give you my general opinion. Lessons from the story, okay? The general picture, I think, is this. 
God is the landowner. I don't think that's a big shocker. The vineyard is the kingdom of God. The laborers must trust the king to enter the vineyard. Remember, we said early on, the the rich man asked about eternal life, and Jesus talked about the kingdom. He's equating them. This is not working to earn anything in the kingdom. This is being in the kingdom and getting to work once you're in. The work days, our lifetime of service for the Lord, could be, could be, the work day is history, that there's the kingdom of God and the workers in the vineyard. And perhaps Jesus is responding to Peter's question, man, we've given up everything and it's early on in the kingdom. What will there be for us? And Jesus said, trust me, you're going to get more than you deserve. And that perhaps we are in the, the, the kingdom now than we, it's been going along. It's not specific. But the evening is eternity, and the reward is being with God forever in eternity. So let me give you a few lessons. Number one, God is sovereign in salvation. It was the master of the house. It was the owner of the land who went to the marketplace and said, I need you to come work for me. I need you to come into my kingdom. He went to get the workers. He initiated and accomplished the process. They didn't get to show up at the vineyard and say, hey, I need work and you need workers, so let me in. They waited in the marketplace. God is sovereign in salvation. Secondly, and for some this sounds contradictory, but it is not. It's just scripture. God saves all those willing to trust him. These people in the marketplace had no resources of their own. They didn't have the ability to provide for their family. They had no regular occupation. They were completely dependent on someone else to come and provide for them what they could not provide. They had to trust him to do what was right. Next lesson, God is gracious and always gives more than we deserve. Even those first workers had the peace of mind all day long of knowing, I'm working all day, I'm getting a day's wage, I'm going to provide for my family tomorrow. I'm not going hungry tomorrow. The rest obviously received more than they worked for. Another lesson. We sometimes struggle with pride, with our place in the kingdom. It's interesting to me, on another occasion, but not too long from now in history, they'd be arguing about who would be most important in the kingdom. Beginning in verse 20, I'm not going to take time to go down through it, but the the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and says, hey, Could my son sit in your kingdom at one on the right hand and one on the left hand? Could they be prominent in the kingdom? And the other 10 were frustrated because they got their mom to ask the question that they probably wanted to know too. Who's most important in the kingdom? We sometimes struggle with pride. We sometimes think we're doing more in the kingdom than somebody else. 
But we're in the kingdom by the grace of God. We get to serve because God is kind and generous to allow us to serve. And lastly, God keeps his promises. He said he would pay that first group for an entire day of work, and he paid them in denarius. He told the others, I'll do what's right, and he decided to be generous, and he paid them for more than what they actually accomplished. But God keeps his promises. And Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is a parable about serving in the kingdom of God once we're in. It is not a parable about salvation. We all get to serve God. We all get to sacrifice for the advance and betterment of the kingdom. It is a great honor and privilege for us to do that. Let me give you a couple of thoughts to take with you, and then I want to touch on the, the roadmap that's in your hands. Thought number one, well, now let me read this to you. We're workers in the kingdom. We will work the remainder of our lives, and at the end, God will reward us with eternity with him, not because of the work we've done, but because he is gracious to give us more than we deserve. We have the privilege of going into the marketplace and greeting men and women with the good news that God is still seeking people to worship and serve him. They can trust in the reputation and character of the king who will always do what is right. How can God give people more than they deserve? How can God honor people with eternal life because of what Jesus did? We don't get into the kingdom because we deserve to be in the kingdom. We get there because of the sacrifice of Christ who paid for our sin and secured our salvation. So as we talk more and more and more and more pointedly in these next few weeks about a, a new church building, it's not the kingdom. It's a tool for us to use to advance the kingdom of God. It's a staging area for us to prepare to go out into the vineyard. It is a place that we will use to invite more and more workers to, invite in, to join us in serving the king. So your thoughts to take home. You don't deserve to be in God's kingdom. I don't deserve to be in God's kingdom. It's God's grace that has brought me into it. Secondly, it's gracious of God to give me the opportunity to serve. I don't, I don't serve because that's some, some special benefit to God. God is not in heaven thinking, man, I am so grateful that David Wilson is a pastor. I don't know what they would do in Gloucester without him. Right? That's true. You're, you're welcome to say amen. <laughs> God doesn't need me here. By his grace, he has put me here. I get to do this. We're in the kingdom by God's grace. We serve by God's grace, and he is generous to allow us to do that. Some will serve and give more than others. God gives 
various giftedness. We'll talk about that down the road here in a few weeks. God, God enables us to be able to do certain things. Some, it seems, have a, a greater level of giftedness. Some have a greater amount of money to contribute to things like we're talking about. Some people have a... It, there, there are a variety of different things that play into this that God has granted to us. Some will serve and give more than others. Some need to. But no matter how much I sacrifice, I will never outpace the gracious generosity of God. It doesn't matter what I give. It doesn't matter how much I serve. I will never outpace God's grace in providing Jesus to bring me into his kingdom when I could never have accomplished that on my own. Right? Let me, let me take this roadmap and uh, tell you how this is going to be over the next six weeks. We've begun the series today, and you are, uh, next week we'll be receiving a prayer card, something to think about. This is our sermon series called One Mission. We're going to be just about every week, not quite every week, but just about every week putting something else in your hands. Next Sunday, you will receive a prayer card that we want you to stick on your refrigerator so you can remember throughout the next six weeks and eventually throughout the next 18 months to pray for a variety of things that will be on that prayer card, but immediately to pray for how are you going to be involved? How are you going to participate in this thing? March 8th, you're going to receive a pledge card. We're going to ask you to state up front, here's how much we believe God wants us to participate financially in this project. We plan to give this much at the first offering. We plan to, we, we want, because we want you to think this through. What are you going to do? Jody and I have already been talking about it. What are we going to do? In what way are we going to sacrifice and not just fit this into the regular scheme of things? What are we, what are we going to make sacrifices in so that we can give more generously to this project? And I'll say it now, and I'll probably say it a variety of times. I just want to remind you if we don't do this giving above and beyond our regular giving, that's just going to hurt the general ongoing ministry, right? I just, I just got to remind you this. I can't just take my usual tithe, my usual giving to the Lord and give it to the building fund instead. That's, we can't rob Peter to pay Paul. That's just going to hurt Peter. <laughs> that's going to that's hurt the regular ministries. But on the 15th, a week later, we're going to receive those pledges. We're going to ask you to turn them in. I'm not I'm not checking up on you. I don't know who gives what at this church, and I'm really glad for that. On March 22nd, we are going to receive the one-time offering. That's week six of this series. I have not been involved in this, all right? Jody and I were not there. We didn't participate. in. We weren't part of Coastal in previous fundraisers. And so, but I'm told and we're going to do it again, that there's going to be a, we're going to like have a parade here, not really a parade, but we're all going to come up front and give. It's going to be a, an actual physical sacrifice and celebration, and it's going to be a wonderful Sunday on the 22nd. I hope you will plan to be here. And even if you're giving online, 
you're going to be able to have a piece of paper or a card that you can write on there and say, I gave this much because we want to take that first offering, that love offering on that Sunday, the 22nd, and we want to see what God's going to do to bring in a, a tremendous sum of money. And it's going to be super exciting. And then beginning the week after for an 18-month commitment, we're asking people to commit to giving $30 a month. As Pastor Sean said, for some of you, those two things will both be a stretch. For some of you, it will be very difficult for you to come up with $500 extra. Beyond what you normally give, beyond your regular expenses, beyond all, it'll be a stretch. For some of you, adding $30 a month is going to be difficult. For some of you, it won't even be difficult in the slightest, right? I I presume that's true. Again, I don't know what anybody makes, and I'm really glad when it comes to things like this, because I don't know who I'm talking to. But I would imagine there are some who could give two or three or four times the ask, and it ultimately wouldn't hurt their bottom line. I'm asking for us to all sacrifice. What are we going to do to sacrifice, to demonstrate our gratitude to our brothers and sisters across coastal, None of, most of whom will not be in the building that we will enjoy serving and worshiping and preparing and staging in? Just as many people are in buildings now that some of you have given sacrificially to in the past. I'm so grateful for the opportunity this is for us. So this is how it's going to go. That's the, that's the roadmap. That's the plan over the next few weeks. Next Sunday, I'm very happy that Pastor Sean, our lead pastor, will be here to speak. Uh, he'll be able to share his heart directly and personally with you. I hope you'll, you'll be here to hear from that. And uh, Pastor Nate will be involved in teaching in this series as well. So uh, I'm just really excited to see what God's going to do. But it all come down, comes down to this. God has been incredibly generous with us. He has given us salvation in Christ. And for most of us, he's been very generous financially with us. And this is an opportunity for us to go out of our way to say, Lord, I recognize that what you've given me is not mine. My worth is not in what I own. My worth is in my relationship to you through Jesus. So that's the challenge. That's what we're doing. We're here to serve in the kingdom, and we're going to build a building that will enable us to stage ourselves well to reach this community with the gospel. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite the team to come back, and we're going to sing a little and then close our service with uh, a benediction as we began last week, and then uh, have an opportunity to kind of stand around and enjoy. There will be some snacks in the back, and uh, stand around, greet somebody, meet somebody that you don't know, even if you've seen them here before. Say, you know, I've seen you, but I just don't know your name, and let's, uh, let's really develop some more family, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the scriptures. I thank you for the reality of your generosity. Uh, Lord, when I think about how kind you have been to bring us into your kingdom, how how gracious it is of you that we get to be part of what you're accomplishing in the world. Lord, it's really a little overwhelming to me. I pray that our attention would not be on ourselves, but on you and on your grace and on the fact that we're here together to expand your kingdom. And I pray that as this process unfolds in these next six weeks and then the next 18 months, I pray, Lord, that 
there would be an incredible uh, awareness that you are moving powerfully here. I pray that you would build a sense of excitement in us as we uh, determine and try to figure out where is it we can sacrifice so that we can uh, be uh, more generous with what you are trying to do. Lord, I'm grateful for your kindness to us, and I thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, we want your kingdom to expand and to grow here on the Middle Peninsula, and we ask that you would use us to be part of that.